Welcome to Dark Legends Unveiled with the Spooky Gals. We want to give a trigger warning that some of the material and content in this episode will mention domestic violence, colonialism, madness, murder, and violence upon the body. If this seems like something that is too much, please feel free to skip this episode. On a chilly afternoon, after a heavy cup of coffee, you turn to your window due to the screeching sound of the metal cart. The wheels hitting the asphalt make your ears feel like they are on fire. And yet, the woman's voice no. that fractures no. your senses is even more cumbersome. Her body is frail and slender, yet the sound that emerges from her is so powerful and despondent you cannot look away. She sobs erratically and pushes her cart through the apartment parking lot. You notice her bright floral dress that barely hangs onto her body. Although you are considerably far distance from her, you are aware of the frugality that has been forced upon this woman. Her bones are prominent. They stick out and consume the entirety of her being. You want to reach out. You want to comfort this woman and her menacing cries of sadness. But you cannot move once. You have noticed the red marks on her wrist. You rub your eyes, hoping your mind is playing tricks on you and that the caffeine is pushing you into a frenzied madness. Yet, as your fingers decrease the pressure upon your eyelids, the red marks are still there. Your eyes fall upon her shoes, and you see socks soiled in something that resembles blood. In this moment, your breath gets stuck in your throat. <clears throat> you begin to think, who is this woman? Is she injured? Is she mad? What is madness? Is she a victim? Is she the aggressor? Who is she? As you lay your eyes upon her small figure from your window, you feel a force coming and you realize she begins to turn toward you. Who is it that you see? Do you see yourself? Do you see your mother? Do you see the woman from your high school class who was murdered by her partner? Do you see the mad woman that has been painted historically through literature? Today, I want us all to see beyond the scratchy surface of fear that has been instilled in us. What do scary femme figures represent? What gender roles do they hold? Why is a woman femme that is followed or drenched in blood such a scary feat? And so much more. Welcome, idol listeners, to Dark Legends Unveiled a podcast about women, weeping, and ghosts. I'm Monica, and I met with three young scholars from around the world with morbid taste for gothic stories to present, compare, and complain, if you will, about three characters, female characters that have come to us thanks to their unique skills in crying, some alleged cruelty slash mental instability, and ultimately their infallible capacity to spook children. I want to start by introducing my colleagues here. Nilu 
far, Esmaili is a PhD student in English with a focus on transnational feminism and digital activism. And she is delighted to talk today about the mysterious Lechusa, the old woman. Christy Lee is a PhD candidate in religious in antiquity with a focus on Greek and Roman religious literature. She will be talking about the myth of Medea to remind us all that being a bad bitch is nothing new. And last but not least, Margarita Aleli Núñez Arroyo is a PhD candidate in American studies with a focus on ghosts in literature in reference to social anxieties, border, colonialism, disability, and feminism. She will present for us the legend of La Llorona. Thank you, Nilu, Christy, and Margarita for being here today. While reflecting about women and strong passions, particularly crying, it comes to my mind the old proverb, boys don't cry. We read in a 16th century quote by Michel de Montaigne about sorrow. No man living is more free from this passion than I, who yet neither like in myself nor admire it in others. And yet, generally the world as a settled thing is pleased to grace it with a particular esteem, clothing therewith wisdom, virtue, and conscience. Foolish and sordid guys, the Italians have more fitly baptized by this name, la tristezza, malignity, for it is a quality always hurtful, always idle, and vain. And as being cowardly, mean, and base, it is by the Stoics expressly and particularly forbidden to their sages. But wait a second, Montaigne. What can be so wrong with sorrow or crying? Why are we demonizing the experience and expression of these intense passions? Let's take a look at the three figures at stake here. The old woman, Medea, and La Llorona. Fascinating characters that might, in fact, take advantage of their striking emotions. Thank you, Nilu, for kicking off the exhibition of witches. Alright folks, we're gonna dive into the spooky, the bizarre and the fantastical world of La Lechusa, a tale as old as time, or at least a few centuries back. Picture this, a witch exposed for devilish doings, town folks a little less than thrilled, and boom, La Lechusa is born. A shape-shifting owl lady with a vendetta. Hold on to your hands, it's a wild ride. La Lechusa is no ordinary owl. She's got the face of an old woman and a wingspan that could give any NBA player a run for their money. And don't let her size fool you. She's got a talent for carrying away full-grown men. We're talking about an owl with an attitude. And if you hear a bird screech at night, well, that's your cue to lock the doors and windows. La Lechusa might be out searching for her next midnight snack. She's got this creepy habit of disguising her voice like a baby's, crying outside your door. It's like a supernatural lullaby with a side of impending doom. But wait, there's more. If she's feeling particularly peckish, she might just pick a car filled with unsuspecting folks, run them off the road, and voila, dinner is served. Now that's what I call a drive-through disaster. 
try to take her down, you might end up in the same boat. Or should I say nest? The mechanics of a giant owl lady killing people? That's the mystery of the millennia. Crossing borders into northern Mexico and Texas Rio Grande Valley, La Lechuza isn't just a bedtime tale. Her cries echo through the night, luring and suspecting souls into her feathery clutches. She's like the rock star of cryptids, with fans far and wide. Now let's flip the script to the woman behind the feathers. La Lechuza's origin story often involves a wronged woman accused of witchcraft. It's like the ultimate revenge blood. Make a deal with the devil, become a shape-shifting owl lady. Take that, haters. But let's get real here. La Lechuza isn't just a creature of the night. She's a gender-bending force. In traditional tales, she terrorizes men, especially those with a penchant for mischief. It's a story that dances on the edges of gender roles. She's feared for not fitting the norm, yet she becomes a beacon of justice for women wrong. It's a twisty, turny narrative, reinforcing and challenging societal expectations all at once. It may seem like a story stuck in the past. Modern Lechuza appearances empower women and girls, offering hope that justice will prevail, even if it's true and conventional means. And here's a deep dive into history. La Lechuza's roots intertwine with indigenous beliefs in the clash of Mesoamerica and Spanish colonization. Owls, once spiritual allies, became symbols of witchcraft and doom. As Christian values took hold, La Lechuza emerged as a symbol of evil, a supernatural enforcer of colonial order. But hey, who said owls can't have a rebellious streak? In a world where animals were once spiritual allies, La Lechuza flips the script as a creature feared and revered. So, there you have it, the whimsical and wicked tale of Lelichusa, the shape-shifting, gender-bending, and justice-serving owl lady. Keep your eyes on the night sky, folks. You never know when those feathery wings might come swooping down. We certainly love rebellious, subversive characters in this podcast. Let's turn the page now to hear about the powerful role of media. Thank you for joining us, Christy. Imagine you're in ancient Greece, specifically 5th century Athens. You go to the Festival of Dionysus, an annual spring festival celebrating all things Dionysian, wine, debauchery, and theater. This year, there is a performance of the myth of Medea, written by Euripides. You sit in an amphitheater with 16,000 other spectators and witness a story that shocks you, repulses you, but you can't look away. This is the myth of Medea, a story of a princess who turned into a monster. The story goes, Medea was a princess and a witch in the kingdom of Colchis, located in the modern-day country of Georgia and she runs away with the Greek hero Jason. Along the way, she commits treason, traps her brother into pieces and throws him in the sea, and forces three young girls to butcher and cook their own father. Dinner's ready! 
everybody. But she does all of this for Jason because she is madly, desperately in love with him. And what does Jason do in return for such devotion? He dumps her for another princess. And this isn't a mere breakup. He breaks a sacred vow of loyalty to her. This is an offense against the gods, and this means he must be punished. To Medea's credit, she spends her days wailing and pleading with Jason to keep his oath out of fealty to the gods and compassion for her. But Jason just tells her to stop being so emotional and be thankful that he would bring her all the way uh, from her barbarian land to Greece, which is, of course, the more civilized place in his mind. Um, And to top it all off, he says the world would be better off if women didn't exist at all. So he kind of digs his own grave. And how does Medea get her revenge? She takes a sword and she kills the two most important people in Jason's life. His children. Her children. And after this, uh, she burns Jason's fiancé and future father-in-law alive, just for good measure, uh, and then flies into the night in a chariot of Helios, her grandfather of the sun, um, pulled into the night by dragons, and she lives happily ever after. So what does all of this mean? For the Greeks, Medea represented the ultimate boogeyman, or boogeywoman. She lived on the fringes of society, being a woman who was far more powerful than all of the men around her. So powerful that actually many of the men around her ended up dead. Her story posed a nightmarish question to the ancients. Uh, What if women stopped obeying men? What if men were at the mercy of women? It's topsy-turvy, chaotic, um, and in the story of Medea, even murderous. Listen to this line from the chorus of Euripides' Medea. The holy rivers have reversed their stream. The order of all things is turned upside down, and men are liars who do not honor their oath to the gods. For the men in this myth, uh, the situation looks pretty grim. But the chorus of women go on to say, honor is finally coming to women. The story is a harrowing battle of the sexes, in which gender norms are uprooted and turned into a fantasy. A nightmarish one for some, but a beacon of light to others. For 2,000 years, the story of Medea has remained popular and has been told in countless iterations. And with this, the story of Medea has taken on new meanings for new audiences. The recent book, Circe by Madeline Miller, tells the story of the witch, Circe, who was Medea's aunt. And this novel offers a redemptive arc for both witches. The story of Medea has become an iconic exploration of foreigner versus native, woman versus man, nature versus civilization, and will doubtlessly provoke horror and amazement for years to come. There we have another passionate woman whose influence in the world makes the rivers reverse their stream. With such powerful hyperbole, we now turn the attention to our last story, the legend of La Llorona, 
where we see again an unsettling clash between love and horror. Margarita, tell us more about it. As a young Chicana girl, La Llorona has always been a prevalent symbol in the stories I heard. She was the mythical woman I would fear. She was the woman that I and many other children would hear outside our windows late at night. In my culture, she represents not only cultural expectations and femme performance, but also the notion of bad motherhood. Today, Due to the work of wonderful Chicana scholars like Gloria Anzaldúa, Domino René Pérez, and many more, La Llorona seeps into so many facets of our lives. We begin to understand her more. She exists on the border to continue no. screaming and releasing no. el llanto de las miles mujeres who are killed on the border. La Llorona transcends borders by not being solely a Mexican being. She exists across all of Latin America, La Llorona crossing the border is not only a Mexican experience, it is an immigrant experience. I relay this idea of migration and crossing the border from one of the latest films, The Curse of La Llorona, which was produced in 2019 by Michael Chavez. Now, I must have to let you know that when I went to go see this film, I did not have high expectations. I knew it would not be the gem of a film since it is produced by Hollywood. But I also knew that if I wanted to critique this film, I had to watch it. And what pulled me in from the trailer from day one was the sense that La Llorona was in the US, which in past films I had never really seen. In this film, the ghostly woman La Llorona crosses the border and haunts the family in the city of Los Angeles. Scholar Luis Leon states, La Llorona, dating back to the 16th century Mesoamerican pantheon of goddesses, as the ghostly apparition of the weeping woman, repeatedly guilty of infanticide. She appears in anguish, searching for her children. She is history, myth, legend, and more. Siren calling, crying evil, decrying injustice, remorse, regret, pain, change, sorrow, suffering, lamenting. She wants another chance to right a wrong. She is a universal symbol of the eternal soul who never completely disappears, but whose form, whose shape is shifted and changed, even while her essence answers to the vicissitudes of life. It remains unchanged." End quote. Today I will teach you about the folktale of La Llorona. I must let you know that today many different variations exist, yet the story I was told was that of a beautiful Mexican woman who lived in a small pueblo. She was said to have immense beauty. A gringo man came to her pueblo from El Otro Lado, the U.S. It is said that he was struck by her beauty, and soon they had become lovers. Their romance brought two boys into their lives, yet he had to return home and promised he would return for her and their children. Yet after he left, there were rumors that he had another family. Out of deep anguish and grief, she drowns her two boys in a nearby river. After she commits the murders, she realizes her grave crime. Her punishment is to forever roam wailing for her dead children. 
the pueblo where she was from, soon began to guard children as many began to disappear, and it is believed La Llorona took them, mistaking them for her dead boys. This is the variation I grew up with, but such a story today has moved in very different directions. La Llorona is said to be derived and connected to La Malinche, who holds a very vilified spot in Mexican history. La Malinche was the indigenous woman who became the translator for Hernán Cortés in the conquista of the Aztec Empire. To many Mexicans, she represents traitorous deeds with the Spanish. Octavio Paz, one of the most known Mexican literary critics, wrote in his book, El Labirinto de la Soledad, The Labyrinth of Solitude. Quote, the chingada is the violated mother. The chingada is seen more passive. Her passivity is abject. She does not resist violence, but is an inert heap of bones, blood, and dust. Her taint is constitutional and resides, as we said earlier, in her sex. This passivity, open to the outside world, causes her to lose her identity. She is the chingada. She loses her name. She is no one. She disappears into nothingness. She is nothingness." End quote. Yet many Chicana Chicanac scholars have pushed back on these interpretations. They state that Malinche was a woman who was a slave and did what she had to survive in a world that did not garner her freedom. As well as the idea that one woman brought the mestizo race to existence willingly discredits the violence that indigenous women received and continue to receive through colonialism. Thus, La Llorona becomes another metaphor for the vilified woman in Latin America history that connects to the indigenous origins of Mexico, Central, and South America. She, like La Malinche, is cast as an evil woman who brought the demise of her people and children. Another version of La Llorona speaks to the many immigrants lost in El Rio Grande. In another variation of the folktale story, an impregnated woman crosses the border to reach her lover in El Otro Lado, the U.S. She crosses with her child in El Rio Grande and loses them in the journey due to the strong currents of the river. Then she forever cries for her lost child, becoming a symbol of the many children lost at the border and the pain imposed on immigrant mothers. To me, La Llorona represents many things. She is still a figure of fear in the dark, lonely nights when I hear cries. Yet I do not fear La Llorona. Instead, I fear the wounds that she carries and that brought her to this space of sorrow and pain. As someone who is a Chiyona, a huge crybaby, I feel seen through La Llorona. I feel empowered by my tears, y llanto. I cry and release the emotions that straddle me. Yet, La Llorona also pushes me to theorize new possibilities. I believe she reminds us of the misconceptions that are pushed onto women and femmes. The ideas of madness that are inflicted onto our souls as devious beings. She exists close to water, to a location of healing and birth. Thus, the question she poses to me currently is how global warming will impact her existence. What does it mean when the Rio Grande dries up? Where will she be? How will the voices of all those injured be heard? And is this a further assault on the representations of femmes in the world? I think to myself, how La Llorona is the wells of Mother Earth and what new modes of theorizing 
will she bring? Impossible not to be fascinated by the obscure power these figures convey. In a way, an incarnation of the deepest fear of our societies. Impossible not to see how, in the process of shaping a myth, these three figures give way to a repudiation of passionate feelings, such as jealousy, fear, sorrow, to the rejection of rebellious behavior that escapes the norm. If the woman fails to be or do what is possible, what is appropriate, what is necessary, she becomes a witch, a monster, a specter meandering between different realms, neither completely human nor fully animal, not quite alive, but never to rest in peace, here, but always a stranger. But along with this condemnation to be outsiders, what strikes me the most about these fantastic women is their transformative power. They are transformed themselves in the story, into birds, monsters, ghosts, witches. They transform values as they all from spiritual ally to symbol of evil. They turn love into fierceness, the victim into the villain. And, most importantly, this transformative faculty transcends their will and keeps the myth moving. Now the fearsome ghost becomes a figure that set us free to embrace our passions. Now the relentless Medea comes back in her chariot in the middle of the night to illuminate other women in their process of empowerment. Now the old woman vows to avenge deceived woman. We hope you are now ready to love, weep and cry out. Thank you all for listening. Music by Evandro Gomez, Denis Kishuk, Michael Schuller, Victor Natas, and Alustom. Sound effects by McCrunchy, Florafonic, Robin Hood 76, Rache, Tim Blerick, Raspberry Tickle 2, Marty Pinzo, Than Vanispen, Allo Carsbright, Melak, Kev P888, Alessia Davina, Sarson, Legend 569, and Melak.